Hey there, thanks for tuning in to St. John's Asheville Sermon Podcast. We're a church in Sydney's inner west, following Jesus and helping people find grace, learn hope, and be light. If you'd like to visit us or find out more, go to cciw.church. Two readings are the first ones from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 to 9. Now this is the commandment the statutes and the ordinances that the Lord your God charged me to teach you to observe in the land that you are about to cross into and occupy, so that you and your children and your children's children may fear the Lord your God all the days of your life and keep all his decrees and his commandments that I am commanding you, so that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe them diligently, so that it may go well with you, and so that you may multiply greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Keep these words that I am commanding you today in your heart. Recite them to your children and talk about them when you are at home and when you are away, when you lie down and when you rise. Bind them as a sign on your hand, fix them as an emblem on your forehead, and write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And the second reading is from the Gospel of John, chapter 21, verse 15 to 19. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and to go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. And this he said to him, follow me. This is the word of the Lord. Hi, everyone. Uh, Lovely to see you all this evening. My name is Louisa and I'm the associate pastor here at St. John's, uh, one of the four sites that makes up Christchurch Inner West. Um, And if you haven't met me before, um, I'd love to meet you after the service and uh, welcome you to a part of our community. Uh, Over the last three weeks um, of January, we've been exploring uh, these questions that Jesus has asked in the Gospel of John. And this evening is our final week of this summer series. Um, And we're going to start this in the same way uh, that we have the last few weeks, um, by giving uh, you guys an opportunity to uh, share some reflections from the passage, um, to ask any questions you might have, um, and it can be from the passage uh, that was uh, the Old Testament reading or the New Testament reading. Any thoughts, questions, comments? Um, so yeah, throwing it over to you guys. Would love to hear your thoughts.
You're allowed to be bold. Um, but I'll give you a moment to keep thinking. Um, hilariously, every time I like read this passage, um, the song, Do You Love Me, was the first thing like that came into mind every single time. So it can be even as out there as that sort of comment, you know, anything that comes to mind. I just repeat those for those um, on the live stream that um, it's beautiful to see that uh, Jesus does these interactions um, over a meal and um, beside the lake and to see um, or see and see God um, engage um, with his people um, in yeah, beautiful settings and over a meal. Um, it's pretty cool. Ellen. Hello. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful to see God um, calling us to love him across um, the Old and New Testament and that that is not um, a new command that we see in the New Testament, but actually that uh, God's heart across, um, yeah, time and for his people is that his people uh, come to him and love him. Yeah, really encouraging. Any last things? Any other questions, thoughts? All right, how about we pray and we can um, get into the text together. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word um, that you have revealed yourself to us in it. Um, we thank you that you... Um, call us to know you um, and that you um, engage with us uh, personally, Lord. And so we just pray that you might um, help us to see you more clearly this evening, um, help us to uh, know your heart for us uh, more deeply. I pray this in your uh, son's name. Amen. Uh, Well, the question, do you love me, uh, is a big question. And depending on the context in which uh, that question is asked, impacts whether that question creates a positive uh, interaction or maybe even a negative one or a neutral reaction um, to the one answering. Uh, If you imagine two giddy teenagers early on in their relationship, do you love me? (gasps) Yes! Oh, I love you too. This is so great. Um, Makes this an exciting question to ask and explodes with it new possibilities and hopes and experiences into reality. The confidence of being known and being loved is remarkable. It's a beautiful thing. Do you still love me? When it's whispered by a small child after getting in trouble, uh, in a moment where they're full of hesitancy and doubt before their parent, um, might be a little bit scary for that child. Um, This provides opportunity for the parent to comfort and reassure the child. Of course, I still love you. The relationship is restored. There is trust there. Do you even love me? 20 years into a marriage when every interaction feels like it's full of bitterness and resentment is a moment of confrontation, challenging the other party whether they're still willing to participate in the relationship or not. And if the answer is no, well, then the impact of that question might be devastating, perhaps even revealing the end of a marriage. Questions have this uh, really uh, powerful way of revealing things, of bringing about revelation. Uh, Once communicated, uh, words impact and change our reality. They change our story. They are not meaningless, Um, but can have immense power to alter relationships or interactions, um, sometimes in significant ways and even at times in permanent ways. And I think uh, one of the challenges of these questions we've been looking at over the last four weeks 
uh, that Jesus asks of his uh, followers and the people around him is that they are incredibly exposing questions. What are you looking for? Does this offend you? Do you want to be made well? Do you love me? These questions that Jesus asks expose the beliefs, the longings, and the hearts of those that Jesus is engaging with. And I think this week's question, in the context of this story, feels like the most confronting, the most exposing question that Jesus asks Peter. And he asks it not once, not twice, but three times if Peter loves him. Imagine being Peter. After Jesus is raised from the dead, I mean, apart from the fact that like Jesus raising from the dead is like utterly earth-shattering and that he might be joyful about being reunited with his beloved friend and teacher, but what about that niggling little question in the back of his mind? Would Jesus bring up the fact that Peter had denied Jesus three times in the, court, uh, in the um, courtyard of the high priest. Peter, in this story, uh, he still acts like his normal self. Um, sometimes I'd like to call him an overzealous Labrador. He kind of bounds into the situation without any real thought of anyone or anything else. I mean, in this uh, story that we uh, heard read this evening, uh, just before it, he'd been fishing with the other disciples Uh, And when he saw Jesus over there on the shore, he just leaps out of the boat and swims to the shore, completely abandoning the other disciples to bring in this huge haul of fish that they just caught. And then once they, like, finally get to shore, he, like, goes, oh, I should probably help them get it out of the boat, you know, be a little bit useful. Uh, But, and this, actually, this moment where uh, Peter and Jesus are interacting Um, is the third time that Jesus has appeared before the disciples. And so maybe uh, Peter has been a bit lulled into the belief that Jesus wouldn't mention his uh, not-so-little mishap that happened uh, a few days or a few weeks previously. I mean, I know when I've done something wrong and you're like, well, if I just never, ever mention it again, I can pretend like it didn't happen. You know, I'll just move on and get over it and, you know, never have to think about it. It's a pretty tempting strategy, isn't it? To avoid uh, tricky conversations, to avoid perhaps um, complex consequences for your actions and behaviours. But Jesus, maybe unfortunately for Peter, uh, doesn't just sweep his denial under the rug. Rather, Jesus confronts Peter. But He doesn't do it in maybe the way that we would expect Jesus to do it. You know, he doesn't go up to Peter and be like, hey, Peter, do you regret denying me? Are you truly, truly sorry? Like, truly? Jesus instead confronts Peter's heart towards him. When we love someone, we align our stories We intertwine our lives with the one whom we have asserted that affection to. And so, in reality, it's a fitting question for Jesus to ask Peter to see if Peter truly loves him. Does he want to be a person who loves and follows and serves Jesus for the rest of his life? 
Well, the first instance when Jesus asks Peter if he loves him, uh, he adds this little phrase, which is a bit peculiar. Uh, He says, do you love me more than these? Um, When I first read it, I was like, than the fish that they're eating? Uh, No, actually, uh, the Greek here in um, that is the tense for these uh, is referring to uh, the disciples. It's um, masculine and plural. It's saying, do you love me more than these disciples who are sitting here? Uh, Interestingly, I think Jesus might be alluding here uh, to Peter's assertion um, in the past that he's going to lay down his life for Jesus, that even if every other disciple falls away and abandons Jesus, that Peter never will. Um, But Peter, maybe a little bit thoughtlessly, uh, he just jumps in. He's like, yes, Lord, you know I love you." you. I'm like... Uh, this is a bold response, Peter. You are sure that you love the you love Jesus more than all the other disciples. Yep, he loves him more than anyone else here. Uh, maybe it's time, Peter, to show like a little bit of humility. Uh, and I can imagine maybe Jesus giving Peter a little bit of a side eye here or a quizzical look. Okay, Peter, if you say so. But Jesus is surprising here. He doesn't dissect Peter's response. He doesn't try to work out how much Peter loves him. Instead, he offers an instruction to Peter. He says, feed my lambs. And then right away, he asks again, do you love me? Once again, Peter replies that, yes, Lord, I love you. You know this. And following that, Jesus instructs Peter again, care for my sheep. And then the final time, Jesus asks, do you love me? Peter, unsurprisingly, becomes a bit distressed then. Jesus, you know everything. You know that I love you. This is a pretty intense interaction uh, between Peter and Jesus, and Peter's feeling a bit attacked and maybe defensive. I mean, imagine after the service this evening, I'm not going to suggest that you do this. Anyways, someone comes up to you and they ask you, do you love Jesus? And you're like, yep. And in your mind, you're like, I'm a bit surprised by that question, but, you know, people are weird, so whatever. Then another person comes up to you and they say, do you love Jesus? You're like, yes. And you're thinking to yourself, uh... What's going on here? Did I say something or do something to make people think that I don't love Jesus? And then a third person comes and asks you, do you love Jesus? You're going to become probably a bit defensive at this moment. Of course I love Jesus. What would make you think that I didn't love him? Maybe you feel bewildered by the repetition of that question. It would be pretty intense to have that interaction with three different people after our service. But I think even that is sort of pales in comparison to the interaction that Peter and Jesus are having. I mean, this is God asking Peter again and again and again, do you love me? And I think if it was me, I would probably just like want to shrivel up and disappear and be like, okay, okay, I get it. I, I'm, I'm just a disaster. I'm going to leave now. Um, but Peter says, Yes, Lord, I love you. And then Jesus' only response to this interaction 
is another repetition of the instruction, feed my sheep. Jesus, why the heck are we talking about sheep and lambs? You just asked me, do you, I love you three times, and then you give me this weird, cryptic uh, prediction of the rest of my life and what I'm meant to be doing, and I just don't get it. So what is Jesus doing here in this story? Well, a common view of this text is that Jesus in this moment is undoing the threefold denial uh, that, that Peter had uh, committed prior to um, his death. And I think definitely that that is part of what uh, Jesus is doing here, that he is kind of turning back the instance of Peter's denial. But I think he's also doing a few more things here. Uh, in the past, in earlier in John, uh, Peter declared that Jesus alone has the words of eternal life. Uh, it is only following Jesus that makes sense of reality. And in a sense here, uh, Jesus questioning Peter gives Peter permission to be like all those other followers who walked away from following Jesus, who said, following you is actually too hard, it's too scary, I'm going to stand by my rejection of you, my denial of you, and I'm going to walk away now. But that's not what Peter does. And by not walking away in that moment, by staying there and responding, uh, yes, Lord, I love you, Jesus actually is offering Peter a moment of true restoration of their relationship. Peter's weakness and brokenness in the past does not stop or prohibit Peter from serving Jesus or following him in the future. Peter can be confident that even in the midst of having a moment where he denied Jesus three times, does not inhibit him being the recipient of God's grace. But it's not only Peter that can have confidence of being God's uh, recipient of God's grace. Because this restoration doesn't happen in private. It doesn't happen kind of like in the corner where no one's really paying attention. This is a public conversation in front of the other disciples. They too can be certain that Peter has been restored and that they too, even after abandoning Jesus, even after uh, leaving him to go to the cross alone, that they too can be restored fully to relationship with Christ. And Jesus, uh, in re response to this restoration, through this restoration, he commissions Peter to provide for the needs of his people, to care for them, to shepherd them in his own absence. Uh, in the Old Testament, uh, the leaders of God's people uh, were called shepherds. And in Jesus' resurrection and his coming ascension, uh, Jesus here is inaugurating a new system of shepherding his people under him. Jesus is the good and ultimate shepherd. And he instructs Peter, particularly in this instance, uh, but I think also his followers more general, that he is commissioning people to protect and uphold his people. And so going forward, as Peter shepherds God's people, there can be no doubt of his allegiance to Christ. Can you imagine if uh, we only had the story of Peter's denial in this book and not of Peter's restoration? Uh, 
you know, if you had your worst moment before God written down in a book for every single Christian for all time to look at and dissect, it'd be pretty intimidating, be pretty crazy. And if that's all we had, if all we had was Peter's denial, then we and others could doubt, well, maybe Peter really wasn't saved. He didn't truly love Jesus. Anything that he teaches in the rest of Scripture, well, we don't really need to accept it or believe it because, well, Peter wasn't really in relationship with Christ. And this moment, what Jesus is doing in bringing about restoration and in his commissioning is that he's confirming Peter's apostolic position and ministry. And it also has this ongoing protective element, demonstrating that Jesus has confidence in Peter, even in the midst of his failings. Peter's denial of Jesus will pale in comparison to his faithfulness that will take him down a pathway where he'll face even greater suffering, even greater hardship. But as we think about this passage, I uh, don't want to get us sidetracked by who Peter is and what Peter is doing, uh, because I think there's also more going on here, in that Jesus is uh, steadfast. It is Jesus who is faithful. It is Jesus whose love is unfaltering, unwavering. And it is that what is most important, uh, is not Peter's love of him, but of Jesus' love of Peter and of us. And so as we are exploring this passage, why do we care about this passage? What does it mean for us? Uh, If Jesus was to come and ask you a question, do you love me? How would you respond? Uh, Perhaps at the moment you are early on in your faith journey and you want to love Jesus, but you're not sure. Well, I want to encourage you this evening that if that is the place that you're in at the moment, Uh, that Jesus is a person who meets you where you're at. He invites you to come to him, to get to know him. This passage may be directed to restoring Peter's relationship with Jesus, but the basis of the interaction, like I said, has little to do with Peter's ability to love Jesus or to be faithful to him. What is so incredibly evident is that the love and grace that Jesus extends Uh, to Peter and to all who call on his name, to Jesus' name. Jesus is the one whose love never falters or fails. He never denies us or forsakes us. He calls us into his love and grace, not to condemn us, but to restore us to himself. And there's an invitation here to experience the love of Christ and the ways in which his love transforms us and is able... uh, to bring us to a place where we can wholeheartedly respond, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. There might be some of us here this evening that uh, when you hear that question, do you love me? Uh, It might seem a bit terrifying at the moment. Perhaps in the past you were once certain of your love of Jesus, but now you're wrestling with the challenges of following him and standing firm in your faith. Perhaps uh, you're feeling a bit more like Peter a few chapters earlier. It's much more tempting uh, when people ask you about spiritual things to just deny Jesus. Uh, Maybe with friends and family, you just don't want to cause a scene. 
Or maybe you just don't want people to assume things about you just because of your faith. Maybe you feel like it's okay to love Jesus in private or when we're gathered with like-minded Christians. But out there in your work, with your work colleagues or your non-believing friends, you just want to be accepted. And I think I want to offer you, uh, firstly, this encouragement. Jesus knows that there are times where following him costs us a lot. It costs us to love Jesus. And that when he does sometimes confront our hearts towards him, just like he's confronted Peter, his cause in doing that is not to condemn us, but is to call us back to himself, to restore us, and to send us back into the world confident of his unfailing love and grace. And as we read this story, I think we can also be reminded that even the most faithful Christians in history have had seasons of sin and failure and doubt, even to the point of denying Jesus. That was not the end of Peter's story, and that is not the end of our story. And I think it's reassuring that even if I say something completely stupid or I act outside the ways that Jesus has called me to, that that does not diminish the love that Jesus has for me. His love is constant and sure. And so even when my life or faith wavers, his love and grace does not. And for others of us, when we hear the question, do you love me? We can be delighted and say, yes, I'm 100% sure right now and confident in this instant. Of course I love you, Jesus. And there's something so beautiful about those uh, times in our lives when we do have that confidence, when we can see God's love clearly and we can respond to his love. But I think it's also good to ensure that our confidence in our love of Christ does not turn to arrogance, that we don't judge those who are in seasons where they are unsure of the response to Jesus' love, and that we don't assume that moments of doubt will never be on our horizon. So let me encourage you to be a person of humility, to be thankful that God has revealed his love to you and that in this moment that you are feeling confident and certain of your love for him. I think that these seasons of confidence uh, can be incredibly helpful. They enable us to be sustained when we're having seasons of doubt, when we fail at loving God, Because again, we know that the love of Jesus does not waver based on our own confidence, our own heart of loving him, but rather he is steadfast and true from the moment you first believed until now and into the future. Finally, uh, the love of Jesus revealed to us in his word transforms our story. Just a few chapters earlier than this passage, Jesus prays to the Father, for us. He prays, Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and I myself may be in them. To be loved by the creator of the universe is the most beautiful message you can imagine. A love that is not wavering. It is a love that heals. 
that binds up, that restores, that renews. The love revealed to us in Jesus' death and resurrection shows that God is willing to give his very self in order to be in a relationship with our frail and broken humanity. And if we respond to the love of Christ by declaring our love to him in response, that too transforms our individual and corporate reality. To say, yes, Lord, I love you, aligns our story with Jesus' story. It aligns our future with Jesus' future. Accepting Jesus' love and his invitation to love him in return alters our hearts and minds in little and big ways. Perhaps that unrelenting sin finally loses its power over us. Perhaps that relationship that seemed like there was no pathway forward now looks like it can be filled with forgiveness and kindness. Perhaps the deepest longings of our hearts are filled in ways we could never have imagined. To love Jesus demonstrates that we are his and his kingdom of love and grace has captivated all that we are. And as a community of people gathered who are all professing the love of Christ means that our community too is shaped and transformed by that love. It enables us to share vulnerably without fear because our identity is so grounded in Christ's unwavering love and his grace means that we can open our hearts and lives to others, that we can pour out Christ's love to those around us. The love we share for Jesus emboldens us to see the dignity of those around us and to turn to be sacrificial with our time, to be sacrificial with our money, our resources, or even our power, to lift up and provide for those around us who Jesus dearly loves, especially those who are the least of these in the eyes of the world. And we can... Uh, have know all of this, that we can be the people that we are because we are safe in the love of God, who do not withhold even his son in order to bring us into his love for all eternity. And so my encouragement to you, uh, maybe this week, as you are looking forward to the year ahead, uh, maybe take some time this week to dwell on the love of God and how choosing to love Christ has changed you. And perhaps ask God ways in which he is calling you to love him this year, how he's calling you to love and embolden and care for others around you. Because the love of Christ is unwavering, it's steadfast, it's sure, and it will uh, solidify us for all eternity in him. Let's pray. Dearly Father, we are so thankful that you are God of love, that you did not withhold even your son from us, but you sent your son into the world that we might be restored to you, our great Heavenly Father, that we might be held safe in your unwavering and steadfast love. We pray that that love might change us and transform us as individuals and as community and that we might be people who love boldly those around us for your glory.
We pray this in your precious son's name. Amen.